Hello and welcome to Fundamentals, the podcast that explores pop culture one conversation at a time. I am your host, Harley. Joining me for an absolutely incredible deep dive into the history of stop motion animation is writer and podcaster M from Verbal Diorama. M is an absolutely wonderful guest to have on this podcast. She brings everything we look for here at Fundamentals enthusiasm, passion, and a deep and rich knowledge of the subject matter. This has been an absolute joy to put together, and I think you guys listening are going to get so much out of it. I learned a lot. Uh, for me, stop motion has been one of those things I grew up with as a kid and kind of assumed, you know, it's it's just sort of, you know, plasticines, right? It's Wallace and Gromit. It's a lot more than that, and M gets into that with us here today. One quick note I should mention before we get into the episode, uh, I had COVID during this week of recording various podcasts, and in this episode, you can definitely hear it. Um, the day before this, I'd lost my voice completely. Thankfully, I got it back on uh, this day that we were meant to record, and it was later on in the day, so, you know, I've been able to warm up to it, so uh, it's not too bad. But anyway... The good news here is that M just brings an incredible amount of knowledge and passion and does a lot of the heavy lifting, as you know the guests often do in these episodes. So there you go. It's all good. Anyway, that's enough from me. Let's get straight into the episode. This is Stop Motion Animation with M from Verbal Diorama. Hello, Em, and welcome to the Fundamentals podcast. Hi, Harley. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, my pleasure. It's an absolute delight to have you on. And what a delightful subject as well you've got for us today in stop motion animation. So um, I just I think to kick us off, I'd love to know what was your introduction to stop motion animation? Well, you know, that's a really interesting question, actually, because I was thinking about this earlier and I was like, what was the first stop motion animation thing that I ever saw? And and I think, you know, when we talk about stop motion animation, we look at like Aardman, for example. We look at, yep. you know, on the TV here in, in Britain in the 90s, there was something called Creature Comforts, which was a series of ads. <laughs> um, and I was thinking, well, was it Creature Comforts? And I, and I think it goes back further because I remember when I was growing up, when I was a kid watching kids TV here in the UK in the 80s. Um, I mean, first of all, we didn't really have much kids TV back then, back in, you think, back in the 80s, there was hardly anything. But there right. were a couple of things that were out at the time. And it's only that when I look back now and I realised that it was actually stop motion. And I just don't think I clicked at the time. So... I'm talking of things like the Magic Roundabout. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen an uh, an episode of the Magic Roundabout. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? And, like, mm. um, I think, I believe this was 80s. I think it was, actually. But, like, one of my favourite TV shows was a TV show called Trapdoor. Um, and I used to love watching Trapdoor. And it's, like, things like that are actually stop motion. But I don't think I ever really clicked because mm. I don't think it was until... Maybe the Ardman stuff like Wallace and Gromit that I actually got a little bit more invested in stop motion. Mm. Um, and it's just one of those really fascinating topics. Um, on Double Diorama, I like to talk about animation a lot because I feel like it's one of those art forms that 
I don't think it gets the sort of appreciation that it actually deserves because I think mm. a lot of people just dismiss it as just being for kids. Um, yeah. And it's not, and it never will be. Um, and, I, and I feel a little bit like stop motion tends to have the same kind of thing in a way, but it's, I think it's also kind of seen as a little bit more prestige because just because of the sheer amount of work that goes mm. into stop motion is honestly so incredible. And, and mm. to be honest, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it because it's, it's, it is literally an art form, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd say as well, the same definitely goes for, for all other forms of animation. I think you're right. It's something that it's easy for us to overlook because nine times out of 10, it is made for content that is then made for children. Mm -hmm. And we can kind of look at it through that sort of lens of like, oh, that's cute. But then, as you say, when you actually stop and think about it, you're like, no, a lot of hard work's gone into that. Um, and yeah, something like stop motion is definitely up there. I mean, I for me, it was, yeah, Ardman was definitely the introduction, you know, watching Wallace and Gromit, I think it's like a British tradition. Yeah. Now. You, like, you have to do it. Um, you know, and I remember, I think it was when Curse the Wherever was in cinemas, um, the at Bristol, uh, it was like a big museum down in, funny enough, Bristol, uh, had a, a sort of special on for them. And because Ardman's based in Bristol as well, they could basically bring some of the sets to, to there so we as kids would go and visit and I remember being really fascinated by how they did that and they would show you all the sets and they'd show you how they built certain scenes and how long it took and I think as an art form for me the number one thing that leaps out is the amount of patience you must have to create something and for it to look good yeah. in that style yeah I mean I I thought to myself when I when we discussed me coming on to to talk about stop motion animation because to be honest Animation just as an art form in itself, you know, if we're talking about just general hand-drawn, you know, 2D cell animation or you're talking about CG animation or stop motion, mm, they're all yeah. they're all topics that I could talk about. <laughs> I could probably <laughs> cover several episodes of Fundamentals talking about animation, but I know you've had people coming on <laughs> talking about animation before. So, but you haven't had anything kind of specific on stop motion. So that's no. kind of why I wanted to to focus on it. Um, and I was really kind of fascinated to find out the history of stop motion. And obviously, verbal diorama is all about the history and legacy of, of mm -hmm. you know, film. So I wanted to kind of take a little bit of a, a, a look into history, a very brief, very brief look into history. Um, and what I kind of found was that, so the origins of stop motion actually started with something called pixelation, which was essentially... Um, in, it, in its rawest form, it was basically photos of people doing different poses. And those photos were basically put together. You know, like when we were kids and we had like those um, little flip books and you'd do little mm. drawings on each page and that, you know, normally they'd be really rude, wouldn't they? Um, right. But it's basically like a, a, a rudimentary kind of form of, of pixelation. And then okay. kind of the, the history of animation and stop motion it's all kind of formed around the same time um, with like the invention of the phantoscope and then the zoetrope um, yeah. to kind of display sequential images as if they were moving. Um, and I remember seeing uh, a zoetrope for the first time and just thinking it was the most incredible thing in the whole entire world. Just, yeah. and I think it was like a horse galloping or something ridiculous like that. And it was in a museum and I was just like blown away. Like who thinks of stuff <laughs> like that? And, and right. you know, the, I mean, the history of animation, it, 
we we don't have time to go into everything. <laughs> But sure. but essentially, so it all kind of started in like the mid 1800s and then in the silent film era of like the, you know, the early 1900s, they did something in live action called Stop Trick, which was basically when the camera stopped during filming of live action stuff and then they do something else and then they start the camera again. Um, and that was basically, the, fundamentally, the start of stop motion animation was they did the same thing, but they used like dolls or puppets or cutouts or something like that. And they would basically stop the camera and then they'd move it and they'd start and then they'd stop and they'd move, you know, and all of that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and I just find that quite fascinating. Uh, not only that, you know, someone would think to, to, to do that as, as an art yeah. form, but also that it started such a long time ago because I think we do look at stop motion and we think, well, that's reasonably modern. Like maybe it started in the 60s. But it doesn't. Mm. It goes all the way back to essentially mm. the start of like the, the, the well, the end of the 1800s, start of the 1900s. Um, wow. And um, there were there were loads of different uh, animators, but I, I wanted to kind of pick out one specifically. And it was a lady that uh, you don't often get women uh, talk when you talk about animation. A lot of the, the women in animation and stuff like that tended to be kind of hidden away. But there was a lady called Helena Smith Dayton, um, and she was one of the earliest animators to actually experiment with clay. Uh, and obviously, clay is something that's used quite a lot um, in stop motion animation. It's you know, claymation is a term that was, um, I believe, it was created by Will Vinton actually in the seventies. But her first animated play was called Battle of the Suds. That came out in nineteen seventeen, um, and then the first official kind of stop motion film which was released was also in 1917 and it was called El Apostol and it was Argentinian um which is fascinating because again you think stop motion oh that's purely going to be a British thing or an American thing or maybe a Russian thing and obviously loads of countries have dabbled in stop motion and for the purposes of this podcast we're only really talking about the British and the American side of, of animation but there's so many countries have have histories in animation, stop motion animation, but I find it quite fascinating that the very first one was Argentinian, which is yeah. amazing. Mm, definitely. It's, yeah, you're right. It's not something I'd ever considered sort of being a global phenomenon, especially going that far back as well. That's basically the birth of cinema. Like it's yeah. right there with it. That's, wow, that's absolutely incredible. But it also kind of makes sense, right? Because it's something where, you don't need a lot of resources. You just need time and dedication and yeah. you can put something together. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and maybe it is quite accessible in that form. Mm. Um, you know, even if you think like, if you want to make a movie as a kid, mm. what do you need? You know, you need a camera. Um, and, you know, if you want to make a proper movie, you need actors, you know, you need all of these different things. Whereas there's so many amazing videos on YouTube um, that I've found specifically that are made by kids using mm. like Lego for stop motion. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like it blows my mind because I think well, when I was a kid, I wasn't that smart. <laughs> mm. I never thought of doing anything like that. And what these kids can do just with the, like you say, the time, the patience, um, just to kind of put a, a couple of minutes of film together. I just think it's incredible. And so many people have done that sort of over the course of history. Um, and just it's the patience that I think 
blows my mind more than anything because I know I don't have that patience. Um, mm. So I know yeah. I couldn't no, do me it. Neither. <laughs> me neither. But, um, but yeah, it's um, it's it's really incredible. Um, and the you know, it's it's like there are so many instances of stop motion in cinema that, like I say, I think it would be practically impossible to kind of go through them. Um, but I do have like quite a, a few kind of choice picks that I kind of um, put together um, that I'd really, really like to talk about because I feel like this is so much more than Wallace and Gromit. Yeah. But that's not taking anything away from Wallace and Gromit because Wallace and Gromit is an absolute phenomenon and literally one of the greatest things that's ever been, you know, put to cinema or uh, Saturday afternoon on the BBC. So, <laughs> so, so one of the one of my favorite things um, that I researched in my time doing verbal diorama was actually the work of Ray Harryhausen, and um, I did an episode a um, couple of months ago now on Jason and the Argonauts, and that's that was one of my favorite films growing up because of Harryhausen and his absolutely stellar stop motion work. Um, you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily even think to put Ray Harryhausen in the same kind of field of vision as, you know, people like Leica and Aardman. But it is genuinely the same thing. It's literally, you've got a model and it's, it's going to be like, it's going to have like a skeletal armature. It's going to have, you know, molded muscle around it. And it's going to be something that you move very, very slightly. You take a picture, you move it again, you take a picture. And really, Ray Harryhausen was the protege of a guy called Willis O'Brien. And Willis O'Brien was the guy who made King Kong in the 30s. And obviously King Kong, um, for anyone who maybe might have seen the more recent version of King Kong, the Peter Jackson um, <laughs> version, Obviously, King Kong came out in 1933, I believe. And it was one of those moments, I think, in cinema that basically genre-defining to see this huge beast climb this building and, like, take this woman and it be, like, this epic kind of love story, basically, a, literally about Beauty and the Beast. Um, and Willis O'Brien was basically the, the lead animator on King Kong. And he took in this, this guy, Ray Harryhausen, as his protege. And together they worked on uh, another movie about a big monkey that was called Mighty Joe Young, which also had a remake in the 90s, which is excellent, by the way. Um, and, um, and then Ray Harryhausen basically took what Willis O'Brien taught him, because Ray Harryhausen basically did the majority of the work on Mighty Joe Young anyway. And we got, sort of in the 50s and 60s, into the 70s and 80s, we got... These amazing creatures from Ray Harryhausen, from like the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and Jason and the Argonauts and the Golden Voyage of Sinbad and Clash of the Titans. And again, Clash of the Titans has been remade in recent years, but without the stop motion, because now it's all about CG. Exactly the same with King Kong. It's all about CG stuff. But I still argue the stop motion stuff holds up because it's just done so incredibly well. Um, I'm sorry, I'm kind of, like I'm ranting a little bit, but in a positive way, because I'm just... It's fine. I'm so passionate about this yeah. stuff. Um, 
but it's it's fine this this is what we look for here and also you know given what you do in your podcast i'm quite happy just to let you roll <laughs> off and i feel like i'm getting my own my very own private uh verbal diorama episode it's great well i mean uh, harley there's much more to come so you just sit down relax take a drink and I uh, <laughs> and, I'll, and i'll just continue um so obviously you've got this like varied history when it comes to to stop motion um and from like Harryhausen, Harryhausen worked from like the 50s, pretty much all the way through to the 80s. Like the early 80s was kind of the end pretty much of of his career with like Clash of the Titans. And he didn't really do anything after that. Um, but even then, you know, going into the 60s, um, there was a company in the 60s, it was called Rankin Bass. And they did like a really famous uh, stop motion Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer animation, which it's not something that we particularly get over here in the UK, but I understand it's huge in America. And uh, the, the style of Rankin Bass was so huge that when uh, they did the movie Elf, um, they specifically chose stop motion to basically emulate the Rankin Bass stuff because that was the stuff that they basically grew up on. Um, and Elf is a wonderful movie. It's got some wonderful stop motion in that movie as well. Um, but like... Just like coming back to like the UK, sort of in the 60s and 70s, we had the Magic Roundabout, we had Moomins, which was another stop motion TV show. Um, we had the Cosgrove Hall stuff, which was Trapdoor, but it was also Noddy and the Wind in the Willows, which again, in my mind, I was like, I don't remember that being stop motion, but it is. Um, and then the 70s as well was also the time that Ardman was formed by Peter Lord and David Sproxton. Um, where we we basically got a character called Morph, who was hugely popular when I was a kid as well. And it was basically just this brown blob of plasticine, um, but it had personality. It didn't have a voice, but it still had personality, and it was just something that was always on TV. Um, and then, you know, the stop motion was basically something that, at the time, I think it was maybe seen as, oh, this is more of an art for children, because... These were all children's shows, but then I can't remember exactly the year because, to be honest, I haven't written it down, but I believe it was either the late 70s, maybe early 80s, perhaps early 80s, actually. I'm going to guess it was like 83, 84. Uh, Peter Gabriel, who was like really, really big pop star person. I don't really know his stuff. Uh, <laughs> not that old. <laughs> um, he, <laughs> just, just to clarify, um, he brought out a song called Sledgehammer and his music video for Sledgehammer was completely stop motion. And it's one of the most amazing things to watch because it's completely glorious and it was made by Ardman as well. Uh, I did oh, actually, not know that. Okay. Maybe it wasn't. Uh? Mm, I put a pin in that because okay. may maybe I've made that up. <laughs> it was made by someone. <laughs> Actually, okay. no, I think it might have been Ardman. I don't know. Um, that might be a little chink in my armour as to who made the Sledgehammer video, but part okay. of me's thinking it might have been Ardman. Um, but again, I don't know. Have you ever seen that video? I think I have. Um, like yourself, I'm not the biggest Peter Gabriel fan, so I can't <laughs> think of the top of my head, but I must have seen it, yeah. I think it's quite iconic. It's a bit like yeah. the uh, Aha Take On Me video which is also obviously animated, um, but it was just so different. And I think maybe that's why it was so popular, because it was so different. 
it's also a bit of a banger of a song as well. So you've got to give that to Peter Gabriel. Um, <laughs> but okay, sorry. I just I just very quickly looked up some still images. Yes, yes, I have seen this with a sort of train track going around his head. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, definitely seen that. Yeah, cool. All right. But it's it's quite fascinating as well because obviously I mentioned um, earlier about pixelation, which was essentially the taking a picture of a person. So that video actually includes pixelation and it includes stop motion as well because the Peter Gabriel himself that that is essentially pixelation, just like images mm. of him making movements with his face. Um, and it's like I say, it's pretty rudimentary stuff, really, if you think about it. Um, but it's also really effective because something like that really sticks in your mind. You've seen it once, you kind of know what it is straight away. Um, and and I really think that is that's kind of a, a, a bit of a unique power for stop motion because I feel like once you've seen something like, and I'm going to come to it, Kubo and the Two Strings, I don't right. think you'll ever forget it. You know, mm. once you've seen Coraline, you'll never forget Coraline. And... Um, and I mean, I might as well jump into Laika because I'm, I'm kind of mm. going through the decades. Yeah, at the yeah. Moment. That's, that's great. Yeah, I'm learning um, a lot. But in the 70s, uh, there was this guy called Will Vinton. Um, right. and he's basically this is that this is where the story of Laika kind of starts. Um, and he basically developed his own animation studio, which was called Will Vinton Studios. And I have you ever seen the movie Return to Oz? I have, strangely enough, yeah. So there's... It lives in my nightmares. <laughs> yes, it lives in mine as well. I am legit petrified of that movie. Um, mm -hmm. But they... So it was Wilbington Studios that worked on the stop motion in Return to Oz. So, you know, there's okay. like a scene... Um, I think I've blocked most of it out of my mind, but there's like a... <laughs> It's a really scary scene with like really scary yeah. things and like yes it comes that uh, like a rock face starts talking and stuff like that it's uh, I don't I don't even like to think about it but that was yeah, all that, done that's, <laughs> that that's bring, that's bringing out some childhood trauma yes Continue. yeah that's why I won't I, I'm not even joking I will never do Return to Oz on my podcast ever because <laughs> genuine childhood trauma from that movie the wheelies I know the, I know we're not talking about this is not. The fundamentals about Return to Oz, <laughs> but the wheelies genuinely mm -hmm. gave me nightmares for yeah. for like months afterwards. Because it's not so much the fact that they were on wheels, but it was the mm -hmm. fact they were on wheels and their faces. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of deeply unsettling imagery for a film that's supposed to be a follow-on to one of the most whimsical and like in, in absolutely charming movies ever made. So yeah, it it is. Yeah, it's baffling on so many levels. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for sequels doing something different. Yeah, but, but not that different. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. Um, but anyway, so Wilmington anyway. <laughs> Studios, they worked on Return to Oz. Um, and um, they were also nominated for an Oscar for special effects. They also did, I don't know if you wow. remember, um, do you remember the California Raisins ads? Uh, again, I'm sure I have seen it. I'll just do a quick Google search because, uh, yeah, that rings a bell. Uh, yes, I have seen this before. Yeah. So that was also Will Vinton Studios that did California Raisins. Right. Okay. Huh. 
Yeah, definitely seen that before. Yeah. Cool. So a very busy time then. Yeah. And this is this is the interesting thing is I feel like stop motion is in more places than you think. You just don't mm. remember seeing it. Uh, yeah. It, you know, you remember something like Sledgehammer, but you don't necessarily remember something like California Raisins because it's 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 so kind of almost inconsequential, but that it doesn't mean that it's any less kind of worth talking about. But the the Wilvington Studio story is quite interesting because like with most um stop motion animation, it's we've said, as we've said, it's incredibly time consuming. Because it's incredibly time consuming, it's incredibly expensive um mm. to you know, put all of these, especially feature-length stuff, to put it together. And so Will Vinton, basically, um, this was like at the end of the 90s, they'd done um, feature-length movies, um, but they'd mainly done like animated shorts. And so because they wanted to kind of step into more of the feature-length stuff, they decided, well, we're going to look for investors. And you wouldn't necessarily put... The company Nike in the story, right? Like the, you know the trainers and the yeah. fa- you know Nike fashions. Is it Nike or Nike? I don't know. But I have no idea. But yeah, we'll go. We'll go with Nike. It's okay. Fine. So I'm not just talking about Nike for no reason. Like not. I'm not right. like this is not an ad for Nike. But um, <laughs> so basically, the owner of Nike was a guy called Phil Knight, and he invested mm. in Wilvington Studios in the late nineties. Um, and wow. that's basically the start of what would become Leica. Um So I'm going to come back. I'm going to I'm going to come back to Leica oh, yeah. in a little okay. bit. But that's basically so Leica are obviously a really fascinating studio because the stuff they put out, I believe, is genuinely some of the most innovative and brilliant stop motion animation in the world. But their movies don't tend to make money. Um, and the reason why Leica can carry on going is because they have Phil Knight and to an extent his son Travis Knight, who's directed a lot of the the Leica stuff as well. Um, but it, it's a, it's quite interesting to look into Leica, um, especially when you kind of realise how expensive it is to make these movies. And companies like Ardman have have had quite a lot of like different deals with. Sony and um, oh, who else did they have a deal with? My mind's gone blank. <laughs> oh, I can't think off the top of my head. Oh, they they had one with Warner Brothers, I think, at some point as well. Um, and that's basically because it, you you need to have the finances in place to be able to make movies like this because it's incredibly expensive. Um, so we'll park the Leica story, and um, we're gonna go take a tangent, and we're gonna go to Star Wars. Because you wouldn't think that Star Wars would have much to do with stop motion, but it has an incredible amount to do with stop motion. Because if you look at the Atats, for example, they're all stop motion. Uh, If you go into the 80s and you look at uh, a movie like Robocop, you wouldn't think Robocop's got much to do with stop motion, but it's got stop motion in Robocop. And it's genuinely fantastic as well. so, like, from going through the 70s and 80s, the 80s is kind of when Aardman started to to kind of come about with Creature Comforts and 
the start of Wallace and Gromit in like the wrong trousers. And um, well, that was like the 90s, actually. Um, getting my dates mixed up. But you know what I mean? Pingu was another thing. <laughs> Pingu <laughs> is one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen in my life. And uh-huh. Pingu is also stop motion. Uh, yep. I just... <laughs> um, so I, f- I feel like Pingu is a very British sort of thing. Like, yeah. I don't know if anyone necessarily abroad knows about that. If you don't, you're listening, go and look it up. It's, it's bonkers. It's just, <laughs> how to describe it? It's just a, basically a bunch of penguins that sit around making noises at each other. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's glorious and it's so much fun. And yeah, many, many a fond childhood memory just sat watching that for hours. Exactly. And it's, it's amazing as well that essentially these are creatures made out of plasticine and yet they can still emote without words, without, you know, many gestures. I mean, Pingu is a character that gestures. Um, I remember a particular episode of Pingu where I believe he wheezes on stuff. Right. <laughs> I, I, I can't remember why. I can't remember if it was Pingo or if it might have been like his little brother or something who was weeing on everything. I don't know. Mm. But it's it's quite amazing, I think, that when, especially when you look at characters that don't particularly talk and you think, well, if you if you have a live action character that doesn't talk, it's quite easy for the person who's acting to emote to show anger or sadness or happiness because the human face has like, you know, all of these thousands of muscles that are capable of showing all of those different emotions. But plasticine doesn't have that. And yet, one of the most amazing things about not just animation as a whole, because, you know, I feel like it's genuinely one of the purest and most brilliant art forms on earth. But even if you look at puppetry, even if you look at like the Muppets and how easy it is to be able to see a Muppet and see exactly how that Muppet feels immediately. And even with like marionettes as well. I, did, I recently did an episode on Team America and one of the most amazing things is how quick and easy it is to connect to a character that's essentially made of wood and is being yeah. like moved with strings. I'm doing mm-hmm. the motion as well. While I'm talking, yeah. because you have to. Um, <laughs> but it's exactly the same principle with marionettes and, and puppets. You know, puppets that are being controlled by like a human hand as opposed to a marionette. It's exactly the same principle. For some reason, and I've never quite figured out why, it must be like something to do with the human brain. It's easier for a human being to look at Pingu, for example and relate to Pingu and understand Pingu and believe in Pingu more than it is for a human being to look at a really kind of uncanny valley CG character and do the same. Which I still think is one of the most fundamental issues that we still have with CG. And I'm not going to slate CG. There's some excellent CG out there. But there still seems to be that that limit there that like the human brain isn't able to cope with something that is almost human but not quite whereas it's absolutely fine if it's a little plasticine penguin yeah that's going oh whatever you know know, it's like 
<laughs> it's, it's, bit, it's the weirdest thing, don't you think? Like that, that is. But then I, I think it really taps into what you just said a second ago about the uncanny valley thing of our brains don't perceive it as a threat or like, you know, because, because we can recognize that it's, Oh, it's a plasticine penguin. And it's just, it's, we, we kind of immediately know what it is and it's fine when it's, I've always maintained this yeah when it's CG that's sort of in that weird era where like you say that it's quite close to being human, but it's not like the technology is still not there. I think it is our brains just, freaking out because they're like i recognize what this is but at the same time i don't and i don't like it you know yeah, it's, yeah i i'm the same i i've had visceral reactions in the cinema before now to certain things <laughs> one that immediately leaps to my mind the last time it happened was um the movie gemini man with will smith oh, yeah, yeah yeah there's a younger cg version of him and spoiler for that movie uh like one of the final shots is them in broad daylight somewhere and they're talking to younger will smith and it like looks directly at the camera and yes i said it because i don't recognize it as human like it just barreled straight down the camera with this weird cg face that just wasn't quite right and i i remember like the hairs on the back of my neck standing up and just feeling really ill <laughs> and then just being like oh i don't like that oh there's some something deep inside me has just gone nope not a fan nope yeah whereas as you say stick on wallace and gromit or pingu I can relax. I'm fine. I'm cool. It's all right. It's it's really weird. It's I I will I will never not find it weird, but I will never not find a piece mm. of stop motion animation just completely charming. It, um, yes, it's definitely charming. Yeah, and that's true. It, I guess you know you kind of look at something CG and you think, well, obviously time and money went into that. Uh, yes. Whatever whatever it looks like, I've made it sound. It went into that. Um, but, you know, it's like one one example that always springs to my mind is in one of my favourite Star Wars movies, Rogue One, uh-huh. um, where you've got um, Grand Moff Tarkin, mm-hmm. and it's obviously the the uh, the actor is is no longer with us, so he can't play that role anymore. So it's like a completely CG face, mm. and it's like yes, you can see that time and money has gone into that, mm. but it's still not there. And then you've got a yeah. question, well, ethically, do we really want to go there? Do we really want to take deceased actors and bring them back to life? Um, yeah. I think maybe that's a question for another episode on the fundamentals about bringing deceased actors back to life using CG. Um, because mm-hmm. I don't think there's very many examples, to be fair. But, yeah, I think it, it brings up quite a lot of ethical debates um, yeah, about, about whether that's right or not. But. But fundamentally, well, I said fundamentals on fundamentals. That's hey, funny. there you go. Uh, <laughs> That's a first. <laughs> Yay! Um, but yeah, fundamentally, we're we're not here to uh, we're not here to kind of talk about the, the issues with CG. But um, it, it's it's quite interesting because obviously when we're talking about stop motion, um, there have been instances where stop motion has been enhanced with CG. Right. Um, sure. And, you know, I, I actually don't have a problem with that. If it makes what we get better, then I, I really kind of don't have a problem. And obviously a lot of the stop motion stuff, especially in the 90s, because the 90s was really the start, I think, of, of, the, of the, the boom of stop motion, especially when you talk about Aardman. Um, 
and um, and then when you talk about uh, even the predecessor to South Park was technically stop motion. It was cutouts. It was called the Spirit of Christmas. Um, and no one would ever really consider South Park to be stop motion. And that's mainly because South Park is done by computer now. But the very early, f- I guess, I'm saying the word again, the fundamental start hey, mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. South Park was paper cutouts that, that, that they moved like it was stop motion. Um, right. And it's interesting as well, because talking of Christmas, you can't really talk about the 90s and stop motion without talking about the nightmare before Christmas. Right, yeah. And what a phenomenon it was and still is. Mm. It's still seen as basically one of the greatest stop motion achievements of all time. Mm. And it really, really is. It's so stunningly beautiful and and also incredibly gothic and Tim Burton and Yeah. I mean, I would argue that I think, I think personally, I think the plot, we're not here for the plot of, a night, of The Nightmare Before Christmas because it's very simple, but it's just the way that it's done, the craftsmanship that went into that movie is just one of the most astonishing stories. Um, I believe on Netflix, there's a series called um, The Movies That Made Us. It's one of my favourite things to watch because I love how movies are made. There's an episode mm-hmm. on The Nightmare Before Christmas, and I swear to God, it will blow your mind. So basically, I'm telling mm. the people listening, watch that episode. The, the, the work that went into that movie is astonishing. Mm. Um, and it really was essentially the first really big stop-motion movie. Um, and it opened up so many doors for so many people in the industry to kind of get their foot in. Um, this was basically the movie that gave us the director, Henry Selick, because let's not forget, Tim Burton did not direct The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's a common misconception. Let's just get that out of the door right now because it is Tim Burton's movie, but he did not direct it. And Henry Selick would go on to do James and the Giant Peach, uh, which is another completely terrific adaptation of Roald Dahl that I think is mostly forgotten nowadays as, as a stop-motion movie, but is really, really fun and excellent. Um, the Night Bit Before Christmas would eventually give us movies like Frankenweenie and Corpse Bride. Corpse Bride, again, is one of those that I feel like is a little bit forgotten because it's compared to The Night Bit Before Christmas a lot and it kind of doesn't deserve that comparison, even though it kind of does because it's all about death. Uh, <laughs> but it's, again, like... One of my favourite things is talking about movies like Corpse Bride in a sense that not many podcasts talk about Corpse Bride. Loads of podcasts will talk about The Nightmare Before Christmas because it it is the landmark. But you won't find many podcasts that talk about Corpse Bride or talk about Kubo and the Two Strings or Coraline. Um, Not because they're forgotten to an extent, but I feel like there's so many movies out there um there's so many there's so many more live action movies out there um than there are stop motion and that's kind of a problem but it's also not because stop motion is kind of exclusive in a way in that it's limited to really a handful of studios that that really deal with it 
But these studios are literally some of the greatest um, craftspeople in the world. And I feel like I'm going off on one again. <laughs> absolutely fine. No, I, I like what you're saying there. I think you're absolutely spot on. It's, it, comes, it kind of comes back to what we were saying at the start, just the amount of time and dedication that is put into it and I guess because of that it means that you're limited in terms of how much output you can yeah. create you know you can say right I'm going to make a movie or even a tv show or a short um and I'm going to do it stop motion it's like well you've just you know tripled probably or even more I'd imagine your length of time it's going to take you to finish the project whereas obviously stuff like live like you say live action we say in in quotes just it's kind of bog standard movies you can get a whole team behind it. You can get actors in and out. You see all these are the moving parts that can be done so much quicker. So naturally, studios are going to gravitate more towards it, aren't they? Because they're mm -hmm. just going to get more of them out and they're going to get more return. Yeah. Whereas something like stop motion, I guess it's a sort of a positive and a negative, right? Where like it's a drawback because it takes longer and not as many people are going to buy into it. But on a creative and artistic level, you'll get something really special and something that's completely different to anything else that's out in the cinema or at, on home streaming to you know than anything else that's out there really yeah no i i completely agree <clears throat> with what you've said and i think that's in many ways a double-edged sword when it comes right. to stop motion because genuinely these movies are completely different to anything else that's out there but sometimes I think that also makes them quite difficult to actually market and sell yes. to yeah. the everyday cinema goer who just wants to take their kids to a DreamWorks movie with like minions in it because they'll laugh and they'll be quiet for two hours. <laughs> Whereas it's, it's a different sell. You know, when we talk about family movies, just just as a general, I, I prefer to call them family movies than kids' movies just yes. because I enjoy them. And these movies are not just for children. They, no animation is just for children, purely because I feel like any, you can be any age to enjoy art. And a movie like, for example, Coraline, is so completely different to Despicable Me, for example, um, mm. in tone, in humour, in style, in substance. Um, and that that's not even taken into account that the sheer level of detail that went into something like Coraline. And I feel like maybe I'm picking on Despicable Me a little bit. It was just the first one that popped into my mind. <laughs> but I'm not saying that those movies don't, aren't considered artful in their own way. No, but sure. Yeah. It's it's completely different. Not only yes. to see a movie like Coraline, but I feel like you can't not see a movie like Coraline and just be completely flawed by just the sheer beauty of Coraline. Um and also Coraline is actually quite frightening as well. Mm -hmm. Um and and not so much Ardman, because Ardman do steer more towards a family-friendly, a more family-friendly um, way. But Laika do, do at least attempt to kind of push the boat when it comes to maybe looking at things in a different way, which I think is maybe why I love Laika so much as a studio and 
why I constantly champion Leica on verbal diorama for how innovative they are. Um, because obviously Coraline wasn't, uh, it wasn't their creation. It was a Neil Gaiman book. Um, Neil Gaiman is, is one of the greatest authors I think that's ever lived possibly. Um, and he's, he's had quite a lot of his stuff adapted. Uh, he had Coraline adapted Stardust as well, which is also an incredibly fun movie. Um, and, um, yeah, he's, he's had some other stuff developed into like TV shows and stuff like that, but. I find it quite fascinating that you can have those horror elements and yet even though it's a little bit scary to see like the other mother with the buttons for eyes still frightens the life out of me but you still look at it and it just even though it's scary you can't help but still see the beauty in that really fearful image does that sound weird a little but i think i know what you mean yeah i guess because it's the artistry behind it it's just yeah. it's so impressive that you're like okay this is yeah this is obviously invoking the right um emotion that it's going for but i'm still in, I'm still amazed at what they're doing mm. yeah and it, it in a way it kind of all stems from the nightmare before christmas uh, right. because that is a movie that does have it does lean more towards the horror, if you think about it. If you think of, um, mm. oh, what's the name? Oogly Boogly, is that his name? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so. so. Yeah. <laughs> um, haven't seen it for a few months and it's, it's not registering in my head, but he's actually quite scary, if you think about it. And when he meets his demise, it's actually quite frightening as well. Um, and so I feel like, the Nightmare Before Christmas did a lot for companies like Leica to be able to produce these kind of movies. Um, and because there is a tendency, I think, to shield children, especially from things that lean more into the horror. Um, you know, even like Leica brought out another movie called Paranorman, which is also excellent, but it does deal with death. Um, and it, it does it in a frank and, and quite interesting way. But I've always kind of thought that if, why, why should we shield children from the idea of death when death is a part of life? Um, mm. It's something that I think Coco, obviously I know Coco's CG, but Coco mm. deals with death and the afterlife and everything in a really good way for children to understand that, you know, death is never the end. Um, and Paranorman is kind of in a similar vein. It's just a bit more gothic uh, and a tiny little bit more graphic in how it deals with that. But um, I genuinely can't say enough good things about Leica and it still mm. blows my mind that they've only ever done five movies. Um, and yet they literally are one of the greatest animation studios of all time. They've... And they have had money behind them. Then they're, they're not poor by any stretch of the imagination. You know, they, they do have um, investors behind them that are willing to continue to invest, um, despite the fact that the movies generally don't do so well. But I kind of worry a little bit for the state of the future of stop motion if companies like Leica stop action, you know, cease to produce stuff because. Mm. I feel like 
because of the time and because of the money that, that has to go into stuff like this, that it's not going to be something that a company like Disney, for example, is going to go, let's open a stop motion division. They're just not going to because right. they're going to look at Leica and they're going to say, well, we'll never see the returns. So what's yeah. the point? Um, and that would be a really sad day. I'd, I'd probably cry a little bit if that ever happened <laughs> just because, um, yeah, I feel like they're so influential. Um, and yeah. yeah, and I haven't even talked about Ardman, so. <laughs> well, I wonder with Leica as well, I feel like they're starting to get a bit more recognition because I know a lot of the movies... Well, basic. I think all of them. I could be wrong, but I feel like all of them usually get a nod in the award season. Yeah, they do. So I wonder if that kind of helps them with investors and credibility, and you know, it's yeah, something something that might nudge them in that direction. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I I guess I'm always a little bit cynical. I think when it comes to awards, um, I try not to be, but I generally quite am because um, they did, Leica did win an Oscar for Best Animated Feature for the movie Missing Link, which was the most recent movie that they released. Yeah, that's right. And in my opinion, and my opinion is not really worth that much, but in my opinion, I feel like Missing Link is probably the weakest of their movies. and I feel like the strongest of their movies was the one they made before Missing Link, which was Kubo and the Two Strings. Sure. And I feel like maybe they got the Oscar for Missing Link because they should have got it for Kubo. Um, sure. They didn't yeah. get it for Kubo because 2016 was a really good year for animation. Um, mm. There was Moana that came out that year. There was um, Zootopia or is it Zootropolis? Yeah. Whatever that's called in the UK, I can't remember. Um, that came out that year. And I think it was um, Zootopia that got the Oscar I that think year. I so, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you're going to go up against something like Moana, you, you, you've you got to be good. Um, it's a tough one, yeah. But, yeah, Kubo, mm. Kubo suffered from, from just being a really outstanding year for animation in 2016. But, mm. yeah, I, I do feel like they... I feel like they got the Oscar for the wrong movie, but I'm not. Okay. I don't want to take anything away from them or Missing Link because Missing Link is fine. Yeah. But it's just, it's nowhere near like the level of Kubo or Coraline, really, for me. In fairness to them as well, like the whole posthumous Oscar thing happens all the time <laughs> to actors and genres and directors. And, yeah. Yeah. So that's fair. That's fair. And hey, at least I suppose the, the upside of that is at least they're getting some recognition there and hopefully that will help them in keeping going um and staying independent because you're right it's it's quite actually now that you say that it's quite unique to have a uh, a studio that's making movies like that that get that kind of recognition in an industry like Hollywood that still are basically independent and able to go off and make what they like and kind of do what are essentially very expensive indie movies <laughs> Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, and, of course, they they actually got their start on Corpse Bride as well. Um, right. They actually, they did the animation for Corpse Bride, but it's not an, an official Leica movie uh, because okay. it's not under the Leica banner. But, um, but yeah, they, they were kind of dipping their toes in the mid-2000s. Um, to, and it wasn't obviously until Coraline that they they really kind of formed like a studios and became an entity. Um, but I think obviously the biggest success story I feel with stop motion has to be Aardman. 
because I think everyone on earth, I'm t- I know that that's like a sweeping generalization, but I feel like everyone on earth has probably knows of something, Ardman. I feel like it has that reach that yeah, it doesn't matter definitely. where you live, you will either know Wallace and Gromit or yes. Creature Comforts mm-hmm. or Sean the Sheep, because Sean the Sheep is huge on like kids' TV. <laughs> we forget yep. how big Sean the Sheep is. Um, yeah, yeah. So, or, or like, or Chicken Run. Chicken Run was, and I believe mm-hmm. still is, the biggest stop motion movie ever made. So, and and Chicken Run is one of those movies that, again, I feel like people don't really talk about Chicken Run anymore because mm. it was it was a thing. Oh my god, that movie is hilarious! It's, it's incredible. It's, it's so good. It's one that me and my wife love to rewatch um, every now and then because it's just it's phenomenal. I think it's like a perfect movie. Like it's just a great sort of parody, kind of you know loosely based on. Um, kind of the great escape yeah. like with chickens and you're like of course of course you make that movie it just makes total sense and in stop motion it just has to what, come back to what you say earlier it has a level of charm added to it yeah as a result and some truly impressive stuff there i mean that whole giant airplane made out of the chicken hens it's incredible like not only is it hilarious but it's you watch it and you go hang on they built that and they animated that and did it with all of this like this limited technology thing, it still holds up. It still looks incredible. Yeah. Chicken Run, I I really do feel like it's going to be one of those movies. I don't know, it sounds ridiculous. (laughs) But, you know, like when people talk about the greatest movies ever made and they say like, you know, Back to the Future, (laughs) Star Wars, I genuinely feel like at one point we're all going to turn around and go, Chicken Run. (laughs) Because it's got everything. It genuinely has everything. It has True. an amazing cast. Um, yep. Let's let's just sweep the floor of Mel Gibson. We're not going to talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, you know, and this is a primarily British cast of like British comedians. And yep. the jokes are so funny. The chicken puns are amazing. And mm-hmm. it's just so quintessentially British. And I think that's why mm. I love Chicken Run so much. And I think that's probably why I love Ardman as well, because Ardman could have gone down the very corporate route of let's Americanize everything, let's make it for an yes. American audience. Mm-hmm. And they've basically chosen not to. They've chosen to yeah. keep the majority of their stuff very, very British. You know, you look at Wallace and Gromit, it's very Yorkshire, you know? Yep. <laughs> it's like all... Uh, and I don't know if people in America really truly understand the concept mm. of Britishness um, and about how British people think. But mm. I love that that's like a little window into like working class British yes. culture yeah. through Definitely. Wallace and Gromit and to an extent Chicken Run because that's all about working yeah. class as well. Um, yeah. And it's it's a wonderful little window into something that... Yeah. Maybe, you know, an American person who enjoys watching, you know, American movies because America, um, <laughs> maybe kind of watches something like that and actually learns something about what it means to be British. To me, that's yeah. like a form of like national pride. Wallace <laughs> and Gromit is like national pride for me. It, no, it, it makes sense as well. Um, 
it's funny because I get um mentioned Bristol. That's my hometown and where I grew up. And uh, they did a a thing a while ago. I think it was for charity. Um, and they basically put out a load of you might have heard of this. They put out a load of giant grommets. So someone like they had these commissions. They built these little statues of grommet. I do know about that. Yeah, yeah. and and co- and certain companies would sponsor them, and they you know paint them a certain way. Um, and I, I was there actually, just walking through town when they they brought these out, and it was so cool. They basically put them all over the city, and the idea was you could do then like a, a sort of walking tour of all the grommets. Um, and I think after a while, they then sold them all on. And every now and then, you'll drive around, and even up now, I've moved up into Gloucestershire, and I'll drive around, and, and I will see one of them like on someone's driveway or in someone's back garden. And I'm just like, how cool is that? That it's such a beloved thing over here that people went, absolutely, I'm going to walk all over a city just so I can look at different versions of Gromit. And yes, I will pay presumably thousands of pounds to buy one of these and keep it. Um, and there's, I think at, at the end of it all, there's still a shop dedicated uh, in one of the Bristol shopping malls to Wallace and Gromit. And there's various charities and stuff they're they're involved with. And, you're right. The word national pride definitely it's, comes up. Like, and, that, and that's, that to me is just proof of it, that you could do an entire yeah. campaign based around them and people went, 100% we're getting on board with this. Let's do it. I mean, you know, right now, I think in the UK, there's there's not much to be very proud about. Um, so sometimes I feel like if you do have something like Wallace and Gromit and it's very cool, it's, let's be honest, it's a very simple story. And and Gromit yeah. is the hero of those stories, and I feel like Gromit. Yeah. Well, both Wallace and Gromit are national treasures, but I can understand why people gravitate towards Gromit because I don't know if you remember because this this was quite a while ago. Um, there was it might have actually been like Yorkshire tea or something. I can't remember, but there was something where you if you bought so many boxes, you could send off coupons for a Gromit mug. And I yeah. remember the day I got my Gromit mug, I think it was one of the proudest days of my life. Um, <laughs> and it was just like this really ridiculous mass-produced mug. But it was it was of Gromit. And, yeah. you know, it was like one of those things that you could like show off a little bit and go, oh, look at my Gromit mug. Um, I don't have him anymore. I, I moved house and I lost oh, him. Oh, no. Um, which is very sad. I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not going to cry about it. Um. But, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't blame you if you did, honestly. But it was one of those things that everyone want. I remember at the time, everyone wanted a grommet mug, and yeah, I managed yeah. to get a grommet mug, and it was yeah, it was glorious. And we we definitely don't talk enough about Ardman. I think Ardman's mm. kind of fallen out of the conversation a little bit. Yeah, um, especially in recent years. I know they are working on another Wallace mm. and Gromit movie. At the moment, um, because obviously Curse right. of the Were-Rabbit was huge. It was. It was massive, yeah. And really, really good. Um, you know, and, yeah. and obviously that same level of humour that you, you do get in Chicken Run. It's, it's kind of different because chicken, the chicken puns are mm. beyond in Chicken Run. But the, yeah. the level of humour in Curse of the Were-Rabbit is, is absolutely brilliant. Mm. It's a movie that I've not seen in such a long time, but I, I really want to do... On verbal diorama, I've got this plan. I want to do a Wallace and Gromit season. <laughs> I just nice. want to do Wallace and Gromit movies. Because um, obviously the um, 
love the wrong trousers and a close shave and a matter of loaf and death. I think they're only about mm -hmm. half an hour long. Um, yeah. So, so they're only really short. Um, but I would love to just sit and watch all of the Wallace and Gromit movies back to back, finish with Were Rabbit, <laughs> and then just do like podcasts about Wallace and Gromit. Um, because I do feel like, you know, the history of Ardman is so fascinating. Um, and, yeah. and Wallace and Gromit is so ingrained in, in their history and, and what they are and, and, and what they do. And they've obviously won loads of Oscars for Wallace yeah. and Gromit and, uh, and all their other work. But they've also done quite a lot in... In regards to um, that, they did, like I said, they had to deal with Sony. They did um, a movie that I actually don't like all that much, which is called Flushed Away. I, I don't mm. know if you've ever seen that one. I have, yeah. I wasn't bothered by it, unfortunately. Like it's In terms of, like you say, it's one of those where you look at it and go, well, technically impressive, but the story was just a bit... Eh. Yeah, I, I wasn't keen on Flushed Away. Then they did uh, a really sweet and wonderful movie called After Christmas, um, which mm. is one that I talked about on my podcast because I feel like no one talks about After Christmas. And it's okay. so wonderful. It's a really sweet Christmas movie. And um, I like to watch it at Christmas <laughs> because it's, 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 not, it's nothing like Chicken Run or Wallace and Gromit because it uh -huh. is more Americanized in that sense. Um, right. But it's still kind of a little bit, it's still British. It's still got British, it's still got a British cast in it. But it feels a little bit more kind of leaning more towards the American style humor a little bit more. Um, then they did a movie called The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists, which mm -hmm. again, not many people know. Um, it's incredibly short. I think it's only like an hour 20. But it's. Wow. Have you ever seen The Pirates? I haven't, no. I, again, I remember it being advertised and I remember sort of recognizing the style yeah. of Ardman in it, but I just haven't got around to seeing it. I, I would highly recommend The Pirates. It's okay. very, very funny. It's, it's the level of humor of, of like maybe Chicken Run, Wallace, and Gromit. It's a very kind of British okay. humor. There's a lot of visual okay. humor in there as well um, because. Who doesn't want to make fun of pirates? Because <laughs> pirates are stupid. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. um yeah, it's a movie that doesn't really get the love, I don't think. Um it's mostly been forgotten because I don't think it did mm. very well. But it's a lot of fun. Um and and then you're kind of going into like Shaun the Sheep, which again, I, I think Shaun the Sheep is fine, but I think that's more aimed maybe more towards children. Yeah. Although I I don't dislike Sean the Sheep at all. I think Sean the Sheep is fine. Um, I've heard nothing but high praise for Farmageddon. Yeah. I've never seen it, but everyone I know who's seen it is like, this is actually incredible. Um, so who knows? Maybe you should give it a chance. Yeah. Yeah. I think do a double bill of Sean the Sheep, the movie, and Sean the Sheep, <laughs> Farmageddon, and uh, let us know. But um, yeah. I must admit, I've, <laughs> I've never actually seen Early Man. I've never been... Me neither. I don't know. Mm. I've seen most most of the stop motion stuff that exists. I've seen that's like obviously, yeah, you know, UK or US stop motion. But I've never been tempted by Early Man, and I don't know mm. why. <laughs> but it's um, yeah, it's it's actually never really appealed. Um, so maybe I need to 
watch Early Man and mm. come back. I'd be like, just as an addendum to the episode that we did, I've now seen Early Man. And I think, <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, I, I kind of feel like you, you can't, it's impossible to watch everything. Even if you have a podcast, True. you can't, yes. you can't watch literally every movie that ever exists in the world. No, no. And so, like, when people say, like, there was, um, between me and my friends, this is completely off topic, but for a long time, I didn't see the Shawshank Redemption for, a, for the longest possible time. And right. my friends were always saying to me, you've never seen the Shawshank Redemption. And I'd be like, well, no, I've just, I've never come across it. Like, it's never been available. Yeah. And they were like, you've got to see the Shawshank Redemption. You've got to see it. They were like, you can't call yourself a movie fan until you've seen The Shawshank uh, Redemption. I was like, okay, right, right. okay. And I did see The Shawshank Redemption, and I loved The Shawshank Redemption. But, well, but the point is, is that, you know, everyone's always like, oh, my God, you haven't seen? Enter movie here. But you yeah. can't. You can't possibly see everything. It's impossible. Um, and I, yes. I just kind of wanted to uh, finish my run through the decades of stop motion by giving a shout out to Wes Anderson. Um, because right. Wes Anderson, you probably wouldn't think, is a pioneer of stop motion. But Fantastic Mr. Fox, his adaptation of Roald Dahl, is one yeah. of the most brilliant stop motion movies that exists. Um, mm -hmm. And it's incredibly funny. And it's incredibly sweet. And he also did a movie called Isle of Dogs as well, mm. which... I personally don't think it's as good as Fantastic Mr. Fox, but it's still a good movie. Um, mm. So that little double bill, Fantastic Mr. Fox and Oil of Dogs, would be sweet for like a weekend, mm. Saturday afternoon. It, it, whether you've got kids, whether you haven't, I don't have kids. So I just mm. watch these movies just because. Um, but really fantastic. And there's still Wes Anderson movies as well. And mm. I'm like... That's the amazing thing. It's like these filmmakers can still put themselves and their style into these movies and it's still them, but it's also mm. stop motion. And it's, yeah, the Fantastic Mr. Fox is one of the greatest, genuinely. Um, it's, it's a hell of a lot of fun. And I feel, I realise I've said that about every single movie. I've been like, yeah, Coraline's the greatest. <laughs> Kubo's the greatest. Fantastic Mr. Fox is the greatest. But that's the point. They're all great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it seems to be a, a, a style or a sort of genre of, of uh, animation or you know, creativity that brings out incredible works out of people. And you, you kind of hope so as well, given the amount of time that goes into it, that the people who were involved who are giving so much time and patience to making it were, would be making something worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that if you're going to invest in this kind of, in this way of making movies, you've yeah. got to have the passion. You've got yeah. to have the love for it. Because if you yes. don't have the patience and the love, it's going to come mm. through in your movie. And pretty much every single movie that I've talked about shows that love and that passion and that dedication to making the mm. best possible movie that they could make. Um, but I wanted to ask you, Harley, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you could pick, this is going to be really tough. If you could pick one stop motion movie, which one would you pick? That is really tough. Um, 
Full disclosure, there's a few that you've mentioned that I haven't seen. One that's I need to see, I know, is Kubo and the mm-hmm. Two Strings. That's, I've been trying to get hold of that. Um, I'm going to have to track that down. But okay, based on the ones that I have seen, uh, my gut says... My gut says chicken run. Uh, no, I, I knew you were going to say that. I felt like I, think, I, I think, Although I will say Curse the Rabbit is a close second. Yeah. Like those are, again, Ardman's pretty up there for me. But I mean, to be honest, out of all the ones you've picked, I think you can't go wrong. I don't think any of them would no. be a, a waste of time or bad. It's kind of, it's an embarrassment of riches, really. Which, <laughs> what about yourself? Well, I mean, I, I will always go for Kubo and the Two Strings. It's just... just okay. Honestly, the first time mm. I saw that movie, I was I was blown away by how it's so beautiful and it's so poignant and I cried as well. You know, all of the emotions came out watching Kubo and honestly, anytime Laika put out, they, they do a lot with social media. They put out a lot of making of videos. Um, and you can watch those videos and you can go, oh, my God, that's amazing. Like, it shows you the process. Um, but there's something really special about Kubo. And that's one of my biggest frustrations is, especially being a movie podcaster, because right. people occasionally ask for, like, recommendations of stuff. Um, and I tend to always go to animation first because, like I say, animation does tend to be overlooked generally for movies. Um, but I've recommended Kubo so many times um, because it's one of those that really did deserve all of the accolades and all of the box office and deserves to be like this kind of feature presentation um, that it, it, it just never became. Um, and it's so frustrating because it's honestly absolutely breathtakingly beautiful and the story is gorgeous and um it's very similar actually oh the the other movie's gone out of my head of of what it's similar to um ah damn it my brain's not working but there's it's very similar to um i think it's a pixar movie um it's got like a similar tone but they yeah yeah ignore that it's gone out of my head but kubo Kubo is is really special. Um, and I could understand what you're saying about it's tough to find because it is tough to find. It's not on streaming services. It's not on um, like now TV or Netflix. I don't think Netflix has ever had it. Um, mm. And I got it on Blu-ray. And even then it was quite tricky to track it down. Um, even like back in like 2016, 2017, just because it didn't really get that level of um, of just people knowing about it. Um, and and that's kind of a problem across the board of stop motion, really, uh, for me, that if a company like Ardman can struggle to get something like Shaun the Sheep Farmageddon into audiences' minds, um, then what chance do other companies have Um, You know, the market is very saturated. um, But I think when we talk about stop motion, especially uh, in in the general field of animation, there are some pretty duff animated movies out there. Let's be frank. There are some movies that aren't brilliant, you know, animated movies, uh, mostly because they were born of a time when 
companies were trying to compete with each other. So if Disney brought out uh, a huge princess movie, then some other random studio would bring out their version of a princess movie and it would generally be quite duff. Um, and there was a lot of competition in the animation market, especially uh, during like the Disney Renaissance and stuff like that. And that's when all of these other studios kind of boomed. And then all these other studios took over Disney, uh, not literally, but figuratively, because then Disney took over Pixar, literally. Um, but, you know, the, the animation sector is, is this kind of huge behemoth of, of all of these corporations. But there's a massive variety of quality uh, in those. And I'm talking about the CG animation. I'm talking about hand-drawn animation. But I don't feel like any of the stop-motion stuff. There are great movies and there are middling movies. But there are no movies that are done this way in stop motion that I would say are really terrible or awful. Uh, they may exist. I've just not seen them. <laughs> but, but generally, I feel like as a field of art and animation, because of the investment, they, they genuinely want to make the best possible movie that they can. Yeah, definitely. And I think where they're middling perhaps is more to do with perhaps sometimes story or, yeah. or humour. And, and those are things that are, they happen to all sorts of, of film productions, right? And in, in writing, it's easy to stumble. But I suppose the one thing you can always guarantee with something like this is a spectacle, which, funny enough, I feel like is something people always go in for in cinema. It's something that people look for, right? In cinema is some, something to catch their attention and, and wow them. And it's just sort of dawned on me that, yeah, I suppose with stop motion, you're always guaranteed that. Yeah because they're always going to do something truly spectacular. Yeah, and it's no two stop-motion movies look the same. They might feel the same. Right. They might be from the same yeah. company. Uh, but even like Wallace and Gromit, there's a clear distinction mm. through the series of Wallace and Gromit. Um, so it feels like a genuine evolution. Every single time you look at a Wallace and Gromit short, the yeah. technology is advancing. So it looks slightly different. It's still the same, but it's evolving. Um, and obviously, like I say, I, I really hope that we can continue to evolve stop motion. Stop yeah. motion and the use of CG and stop motion, as I say, I, I don't have a problem with it. As long as the core fundamentals of stop motion aren't, you know, adversely affected by CG. Because then it might as sure. well just be a CG movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I feel like, as an entity, as a, as an art form, um, it's just there's so many opportunities there. I think for studios like Leica and and Aardman, and probably many other um, smaller studios as well that I'm just not aware of because I don't mm. know. I don't know all of the studios, but um, but if if anyone out there knows of a really good stop motion animation studio that's up and coming or anything like that, then let me know and I will definitely be all over them on social media because I really feel like we need to stand behind these companies and we need to try and keep this art form alive um, as, as best as we can. And so that means, you know, the next Nika movie, we all need to go out and see that movie um, because if we don't, there's a possibility that we might not get these movies anymore. And that would be a real shame and so sad for cinema. So 
we we have mm. a responsibility, I think, to support stop motion uh, in you know as best we can. And if this episode yeah. is is going to go some way to do that, then I mean that 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 would be kind of the end game for me. Hmm. Well, let's hope so. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I think yeah. Get out there, and I'm personally going to make more of an effort. I think if I <laughs> see something, because because I've slips, I'll say it myself. You know, like you say, a bunch of the movies you've mentioned with Leica and Arb, and I've a lot of them have passed me by in recent years. So, yeah, I think it will be good for us all to make sure we sit down and and watch Kubo and the yes. Two Strings and everything else that comes out after. <laughs> yeah, but but now I feel bad because I feel like I've guilt tripped you into it. But <laughs> oh, not at all. No, no, no. It's. It's one of those things, and this is why I was really keen to do this episode. It's something that, like you say, I feel like it's easy to forget about. Yeah. Because so much of media and, and stuff now, it moves so quickly and it gets consumed so fast um, that we kind of forget about things like this. And stop motion by its very nature, and as we've discussed, it's very methodical and takes time. And it's something that should be appreciated. So, no, if anything, thank you um, <laughs> for bringing it to our attention and... And reminding us all to, to get out there and, and to uh, to see these incredible works of art. Oh, well, it's it's been a genuine joy to come on Fundamentals and talk about stop motion. I am Good. more than happy to come on Fundamentals and, and talk about anything. Um, but um, I, I also just want to do a quick shout out um, to some other uh, stop motion things that, you know, it's just one of those things that you don't... We, we don't have time to really talk about them too much. We've talked a little bit about Pingu. We actually talked far more than I thought we were going to talk about Pingu. But um, <laughs> other other shows that I think, you know, we don't often think of as stop motion include things like Bob the Builder. Uh, Bob the Builder yes. is another yeah. uh, children's TV show for, from here in the UK. Bob the Builder was so mm. big, he had a Christmas number one here in the UK. That... <laughs> So let's forgot about forget, that. Yeah. Let's not forget how big Bob the Builder was. Um, oh my goodness! Can he fix it? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Um, <laughs> and um, and and just like across the pond, we've not really talked much about American stuff apart from Loika. But um, Robot mm. Chicken has, I believe, is still going. Um, yes, yeah, that is stop motion. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. But you're right. Yeah, that is that's still going strong. Yeah, yeah. I've not seen much Robot Chicken, but. Um, I, mm. I've seen a couple of episodes of it and I, I find it quite uh, amusing. And uh, I mm. also know it's referenced a lot in Family Guy because it's yeah. uh, it's obviously Seth Green, isn't it, does Robot Chicken. And so yeah. Family Guy makes fun of Robot Chicken quite a lot. Um, mm. Not that I'm a huge fan of Family Guy, but it's just always on the TV. Mm. So it's it's always there to watch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, and there, obviously there are some movies that I have not seen. I mentioned Early Man. Um, I haven't seen my life as a cause yet, which I've heard is excellent. I also believe that's like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. So um, I need to hunt out my life as a cause yet. I think it's also called my life as a zucchini as well. Um, Okay. And there's also a movie that I haven't seen yet is Anomalisa. Um, So I need to hunt that. Yeah, I've heard that's really great as well. Yeah, I need to hunt that one out. So, you know, I'm not sitting here and saying that I know everything about stop motion and I'm the be-all and end-all of stop motion because I'm not. <laughs> um, but, you know, we've we there's stuff that we can all do and yeah. I'm going to hunt out my life as a courgette and Anomalisa because I've cool. heard they're both excellent. So Awesome. 
That's totally fine. I mean, listen, no one on this uh, podcast is ever the expert of anything. I mean, <laughs> oh, I'm man, not in a position to go accusing that you wanted me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just nice to get people's perspectives. And to be fair as well, to your, uh, in your credit, um, you've done an amazing amount of research clearly on all of this. And, you know, it's, it's in the very nature of what you do, yeah. I think, to bring all that, which is brilliant. Um, so I guess speaking of, um take us home then yeah where can the good people find you and your incredible podcast <laughs> well i mean if they're not um you know fed up of my voice already because let's be honest i have <laughs> talked a lot poor harley's not been able to get a word in edgeways but you know this is what happens when you get m from verbal diorama on your podcast i'm afraid um so, so yeah um i do have a podcast i've mentioned it a couple of times actually um, so my podcast <laughs> is called Verbal Diorama and it's basically all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. So I've actually talked about quite a few of the movies that we've talked about in this episode. So I've done episodes on Corpse Bride, I've done Coraline, I've done Kubo and the Two Strings, I've done Chicken Run, I've done Fantastic Mr. Fox, I've also done After Christmas as well. Um, and I basically like to talk about how movies are made it's one of my most you know the thing that fascinates me the most is how these movies yeah. come together a verbal diorama is not just about animation um but i do like to occasionally focus on animation because i feel like so many podcasts don't like to talk about animation or don't feel like they can talk about animation whereas it's just one of the most beautiful forms of movie making arts just just all encompassing so i actually do animation seasons every year so from like january february each year is always animation season so i'm going to be doing an animation season again next year with loads of different things in possibly wallace and gromit um but um well yeah it's it's basically a podcast i talk about all different types of film and i like to talk about the history of that movie and how that movie went from conception to completion um so if you're interested in finding out more about how they made Coraline how they made Fantastic Mr Fox all of those kind of things that I've mentioned then there are episodes of Verbal Diorama that tell you how they made those movies um and trust me Excellent. it's it's all fascinating stuff it's there's 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 no non-fascinating ways to make stop motion so yeah, feel free. But that's where you can find me if 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 you want. Um, and uh, yeah, if you want to talk about stop motion, then hit me up on social media. <laughs> that's brilliant. Thank you very much, Em. Yeah, I'll make sure I'll make sure to put all the links in as always for people to go and find you. And I highly recommend your podcast. I have a great time listening to it. Oh, it's, thank you. It's really well put together and. You have one of my favourite theme tunes I've ever heard for a podcast yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I always say about the theme tune, if, you know, step come for the theme tune, stay for the content. Because the theme tune hooks people yes. in. So then hopefully they stick around. Absolutely. Well, Em, thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Harley. It's been a genuine joy to come on Fundamental. So thank you so much. Brilliant. And there we have it. A huge thank you to Em for coming on to the podcast and sharing your love of all things stop motion animation. I'm sure you guys listening will agree that that was an absolutely phenomenal episode of the podcast. And as I said, Em's podcast, Verbal Diorama, is truly remarkable. She brings that exact level of energy to every single episode. I honestly don't know how she does it week to week, 
It really is remarkable and is well worth your time. So make sure you head into the show notes, check out the links that are in there and let her know that I sent you because I'm sure she'd appreciate the support. Speaking of support, there are many ways to do that for podcasts, including this one. If you are enjoying it, then the best way to do it really is just word of mouth. Let people know what you think of the show, recommend it. If you do that on social media, specifically Twitter and Instagram, then make sure you tag me because I'd love to get in on the conversation. I had some tremendous feedback on Twitter from a bunch of wonderful listeners from last week's episode. So make sure you get stuck in because I love to give people shout outs and you know interact with you. Again, Twitter and Instagram are the best place to do that. You can, of course, go ahead and leave me a lovely five-star review on your favourite podcatcher. You may recall from last week's episode that M from Verbal Diorama was kind enough to leave me a lovely five-star review and rating on Apple Podcasts, which I did read out. So again, if you want to follow in her footsteps and do so, then make sure you let me know so I can give you a massive thank you on the podcast. It really is the least that I can do. And finally, I do have an official Tee Public merch store and a coffee donation page. So if you'd like to donate something financially to the podcast and contribute in that way, then of course I would greatly welcome that and give you a huge thank you on the podcast. Links for all of that are in the show notes, so anything you want to do would just really help. And that about does it from me. I'll be back again next week with a returning guest to the podcast for a bonus episode. It's one that follows up a previous topic and was an absolute delight to record. So make sure that you are subscribed, you're following, whatever it is you have to do on your favourite podcatcher so you don't miss out on that episode. So until then, go and watch some stop motion animation, go and listen to Verbal Diorama, and I'll meet you all back here next week. <laughs>